Managing diabetes is a full-time job, and it doesn't end in retirement when you turn 65. I'm Krista Lam, and today on the Diabetes Canada podcast, I'll be talking to Dr. Ileana Lega, who is an endocrinologist and scientist with the Women's College Research Institute. Dr. Lega is an expert in the area of diabetes and aging. Dr. Lega will also be a speaker at the 2021 Diabetes Canada CSEM Professional Conference and Annual General Meetings, which will take place virtually from November 23rd to 26, 2021. This is Canada's most highly anticipated diabetes-related conference, and registration is open now at dcanconference.ca. Welcome to the show, Dr. Lega. Hi, thanks for having me. So as we talked about in the intro, you are speaking at the upcoming Diabetes Canada Professional Conference, and you're going to be talking about diabetes and aging, which is a really exciting topic for us. And so what was it that originally interested you in researching this topic? Yeah, so one important aspect of it is that diabetes is very common in older adults. In fact, more up to 40% of all patients with diabetes are actually over 65. So it affects a very big population. And among patients over 65, 30% have diabetes. So it's a very common problem. Why it was interesting to me and why it is interesting to me is because older adults with diabetes are actually a very heterogeneous group. And so Within that group, there are adults who are certainly much older than 65, have multiple comorbidities, have varying amounts of functional dependency, and there's some very important considerations that need to be made with those patients when treating diabetes, mostly to avoid harm. In general, when we treat diabetes, our goal is to maximize benefit and reduce harms. And as patients age, as they accrue more comorbidities, unfortunately, that balance shifts and we have to be much more careful about the harms. So I became interested in this area because even though there's increasing research, increasing work being done in this area, I think is still very relatively poorly understood. And clinically, I think there's a lot of improvements that need to be made in managing this population. And you mentioned comorbidities, which for those listening who aren't familiar with the term means that they have multiple health conditions, which as you get older is something that I think would become even more of an issue. And depending on what those comorbidities are, does that really change how you can treat or manage someone's diabetes? Absolutely. So there are certain sort of more medical-based conditions that accrue as you get older, heart disease, cancers, um, lung disease. And then these conditions that are lumped in what's called the geriatric syndrome, which is a name that is not always popular, but basically it means there are certain conditions that are quite common just as a a result of aging. And those are things like cognitive impairment and issues with managing day-to-day tasks, memory, falling, mobility issues, issues with fine motor coordination, which is quite relevant for diabetes when you're talking about checking sugars and administering insulin. And as well as urinary incontinence, which is very common, especially in older patients, which really affects the quality of life. And so all these things, all these aspects of the patient really need to be taken into account when deciding how to treat patients with diabetes and also really when deciding what are the targets that you're going to aim for for them. I know that a lot of people with type 2 diabetes are now being diagnosed earlier in life. And so I'm wondering if that changes the trajectory of their diabetes, because we know that it can be a progressive condition, but does it matter if someone is diagnosed at 40 versus 65? 
So, I mean, the duration of diabetes certainly is important for understanding usually the burden of diabetes and, and complications that may have accrued from diabetes. Certainly, the longer you have diabetes, the more you're at risk of having diabetes. So, a patient who has been diagnosed younger, by the time they're 60 or 70, has had diabetes for many years and may have already had some of the complications, as opposed to a patient who's diagnosed in their 60s or 70s. However, what matters and what I am interested in focusing on is managing an older patient with diabetes, no matter how long they've had diabetes. And certainly a really important aspect of that is really taking into account all these factors related to them. So how long they've had diabetes, certainly, and what complications they've developed because of diabetes and what other conditions have arisen since they've developed diabetes. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting because now we look more through um, what they call an intersectional lens, which is looking at different life experiences, because it's a very different thing to have type 2 diabetes and to be, you know, a man of Chinese descent who is, you know, 65 when he's diagnosed versus a woman who might be living in poverty or might be from a different ethnic background. So are you looking at those sorts of factors as well? So a lot of my research and my interest really lies in safe diabetes management and really the avoidance of hypoglycemia in this age group and making sure the targets are not excessively low. So the A1C targets, which we use as a marker of how well the diabetes is controlled. And so certainly the patient is very important in determining those things. So all those issues you mentioned are super important to evaluate and think about when you are deciding how to treat and what medications to use and what goals to set for you and your patients in terms of optimizing their diabetes care. Excellent. And so can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing in terms of treating hypoglycemia? Hypoglycemia is the most important thing to consider when treating a patient with diabetes in general, but particularly so in older adults. They're much more susceptible to developing hypoglycemia, especially in the setting of medications we know that cause hypoglycemia, like insulins and sulfonylureas are the two main culprits. So that's one thing, they're more susceptible to it. But even more concerning is that older adults are actually a much higher risk of complications following hypoglycemia. A younger adult, you know, may, and by younger now, we're talking about 65 and under, not the sort of younger adult uh, population, which you talk about in type 1 diabetes, but they're more resilient to the effects of hypoglycemia. And so they are much less likely to suffer any longer term complications as opposed to older adults. Hypoglycemia increases the risk of cognitive impairment. There's a very interesting bi-directional relationship between cognitive impairment and hypoglycemia, which means that Hypoglycemia both causes cognitive impairment, so conditions such as vascular dementia, Alzheimer's, any of the cognitive impairment syndromes, but also cognitive impairment also increases the risk of having hypoglycemia. So it's sort of this vicious cycle. Hypoglycemia in older adults can also lead to heart attacks because of the reduced blood supply that goes to the heart in someone who may already be susceptible. It leads to falls. It leads to fear, social isolation. It can even lead to institutionalization. And so this is why hypoglycemia is so important to avoid in older adults. Increasingly, in the literature and experts are really trying to highlight how important avoiding hypoglycemia is. And it's almost, it is probably as important, avoiding it is as important as avoiding complications from diabetes. In fact, it's increasingly being seen as a complication of diabetes. So something to be avoided at all costs. 
And the most important way that we can avoid hypoglycemia is to be very careful when we're prescribing medications to really evaluate whether or not a patient really needs to be on a medication we know causes hypoglycemia, so insulin or sulfonylureas, and also evaluate what is the glycemic goal? What is the target for their sugars? Do we need to aim for a very low, very tight glycemic target, or can we accept a target that is higher? And so again, this is more a concept of the individualized A1Cs and the individualized targets, again, with the ultimate goal to avoid hypoglycemias and avoid risks and complications from our treatments. So when I'm listening to this, one of the things I'm thinking about is how much that would often have to be coordinated with a care team, because older adults often have a lot of different people who they're seeing a lot of different specialists for different conditions. So if, for example, someone is experiencing some heart conditions and they're put on a medication that might affect their hypoglycemia, is that something where you would be coordinating with their specialist? And and how does that work? Absolutely. So this is actually a problem that came up with me this week. So absolutely. As the endocrinologist, my focus is their glucose control. Obviously, I take into account their other cardiovascular risk factors and other medical conditions they have, but my ultimate goal is their glycemic control. As opposed to, for example, I have a patient who's also followed by a nephrologist, a kidney specialist, because they have kidney complications from their diabetes. And he is very keen on getting this patient on all these newer medications that have come on the market for diabetes that have benefit on the kidneys. But he is doing it without taking into account his sugar. So this patient, for example, is already on insulin, already has a very low A1C despite multiple conversations with me to try to increase it. And yet the nephrologist is adding new medications. And so luckily I have a good relationship with this nephrologist and we communicate, but without communication, there can be a lot of harm done to these patients. If there's not, again, central to the whole discussion and thought process behind the medications, what is going to happen to the sugar? And that's increasingly happens with cardiologists, heart specialists too, because they have very good intentions to improve the comorbidity that they're taking care of. And there are these drugs now that fall within both the diabetes and cardiovascular world. And they're started without consideration for the sugar control. So it it is a problem. And again, this is where education and communication is just very, very critical. Yeah, I think especially as people get older, that would be really challenging. And it makes me sort of think about the long-term care situation. And we had Dr. Diana Sharafali on the show a little while back talking about long-term care when you have type 1 diabetes and how difficult it can be if you are no longer able to self-manage. And I wonder if it's similar with patients with type 2 diabetes who might end up in a long-term care facility in terms of managing their diabetes successfully. So the long-term care um, space is something I've become increasingly interested in. I am looking at in studies. Unfortunately, obviously with COVID, there have been major disasters and long-term care and diabetes has not been at the forefront of discussions. However, we do know from work I've done and others have done too, that diabetes in in long-term care is usually very aggressively treated for whatever reason. So Despite what I mentioned about needing to individualize targets, especially in older adults who may not have very long life expectancy, who may have multiple medical conditions that make them very frail and vulnerable to complications from overtreatment, their A1Cs are over 50% have an A1C below target, so below what we actually recommend, and in the context of being on high-risk medications. So a lot of my more recent work is really to try to work and understand how to improve this 
I think it's, it's obviously a very complex situation with multiple factors and issues with staffing, but there's certainly some knowledge issues as well. And, and the other thing is, too, with this population, there are guidelines, including Diabetes Canada, who for at least the two last set of guidelines have very clearly and explicitly laid out recommendations for how to treat older patients, even those in long-term care who have multiple medical conditions. And despite that, we don't see that translating very well into practice. So again, that's a big area of mine where I want to try to understand how to facilitate that knowledge translation and improve the care. And I think for anyone who's listening who has type 2 diabetes that might be thinking about how they're going to manage the condition as they get older. I mean, that's one thing to consider, obviously, if they're no longer able to self-manage. But are there things that they should be thinking about right now as they sort of get a little older that will help them once they get into the age that you are caring for? Absolutely. And so there is a fair amount of literature that has tried to understand what are the barriers to either healthcare providers or patients or institutions to adopting these changes in practice. So one of the issues is that throughout adult life, usually the messaging for diabetes is that lower is better, have good glycemic control. Well, first lifestyle if you can, and if not, be on medications that will help you achieve these goals, because we know that if your A1C is low, you, we can prevent complications. So that's the messaging that patients get and doctors repeat and reinforce and good A1Cs are reinforced with uh, congratulations and, you know, with benefits. So as we age, though, there is a paradigm shift that needs to happen that currently isn't where diabetes that was well controlled when you were in 40s, 50s and 60s and 70s now becomes over controlled. And even though nothing has changed with the medications or with the A1C, the patient has changed and their risks have changed. And also what the benefits we're trying to derive from this low glycemic target have also changed. So I understand why it's difficult sometimes for patients to understand the shift because it can feel sometimes like ageism. It can feel perhaps that the you know doctors are giving up and saying, oh, now you're old, it doesn't matter. But it's really not that at all. It's quite the opposite. It's, you know, we want to preserve your quality of life. We want you to enjoy and be your best at this time in your life. And because of that, what makes most sense is to try to optimize your care and, you know, take you off medications you don't need to be on that may actually be causing you more harm. Yeah, I think that's so important. I've been reading a lot recently about, you know, it's almost like prescription fatigue where the person just remains on the medication because they've always mm -hmm. been on it and it's mm -hmm. not necessarily being looked at as something where, oh, you know, maybe you don't need this anymore. Maybe there's a better way to do this. So that I think will be a really interesting thing for people who are listening right now. And as we mentioned earlier, you were going to be speaking at the Diabetes Canada conference coming up. And I wanted to give you a chance just to talk a little bit about your research, just give people a little taste of what they might expect if they are attending. Absolutely. Yes, I'm very excited to be talking about this. The more work I do in this area, the more passionate I become about it, and the more I want to affect change and have my research, you know, make a difference. So my talk is going to be focusing on what is currently recommended for in terms of glycemic targets and treatment for older adults and why that is. So provide some of the evidence as to you know, why it, it matters and what is the evidence supporting that we have these specific guidelines for older adults. And I also want to describe during my talk, just to really illustrate 
how dangerous uh, over-treatment and being too aggressive with diabetes treatment can be in older adults in terms of the risks of hypoglycemia, as mentioned in other medications. And then the last part of my talk is really going to be focusing on the hope aspect. So what we can do and how we can improve things, really focusing on this, this concept of deprescribing and diabetes deintensification, which means to reduce medication burden, really with the goals of improving care, improving quality of life and improving the patient experience. So that's what we'll be talking about. And that sounds really, really awesome. And I, I think that a lot of people will find that really interesting. I think, and I'm going to ask you sort of my last question, which is in relation to that, which is we had Dr. Michael Vallis on the show recently, and he talked about the fear of starting insulin that a lot of people with type 2 diabetes have because they've been told for so long that this is a failure. If you're on insulin, you've failed. And I think that's almost a failure in how we've talked to people about insulin for years and years and years. And so you're speaking a little bit about the hope and about getting people off some of these medications and not overprescribing. But what would you say to someone who might have a fear of starting insulin about how it's not necessarily a bad thing? Absolutely. And again, I see that all the time too. Unfortunately, a lot of the times people's fear of illness is a negative experience or a family experience they've had in their life where someone was put on insulin and then became very sick and then whatever horrible thing happened to them. So they also associate insulin with the end or sort of end stage diabetes. So it's a complicated topic, to be honest. I do try, of course, to educate them with the pathophysiology, however much that helps, just saying that this is just a natural course of diabetes. This is what happens. This is your pancreas over time just cannot produce any more insulin. But to be honest, these days we are lucky because we are living in a time where there are a lot of new medications for type 2 diabetes. And in the older adult population, we have to be a bit careful because they haven't all necessarily been studied very carefully in older adults because the large clinical trials usually exclude over older adults. However, there are increasingly other options before getting to insulin. So I think that does make the conversation easier now because there are other options before we get there, which I think is a really positive thing where we're lucky to be living in these times. And I know I said that was going to be my last question, but then you said something really interesting. And so I'm going to indulge in one more question, which is you mentioned that there's not a lot of study of older adults, which I think is really interesting and actually very important because they are often living with type 2 diabetes and comorbidities. So what are some of the things looking forward that you would like to see people study in relation to older adult populations? I find this is a very Achilles, big Achilles heel in our general medical knowledge and research, both the randomized control trials that are done to develop, improve and show efficacy for drugs really tend to limit it to, you know, patients who are mean age of 60. So most of them are younger than 60, very few ever are over 80. Despite that, we extrapolate all these findings to older adults and treat them in ways that may, again, this is another way in which they may be overtreated and inappropriately treated. So of course, I mean, my hope is that there will be more clinical trials, you know, in the future, especially because a lot of these new medications show a lot of promise and have a lot of potential, very beneficial effects. So it would be wonderful to have data specifically in older adults. I think similarly, what's really important and which I think is actually something that sometimes deters or is a barrier to clinicians for deintensification or deprescribing is a lack of clinical data supporting that. So again, if there could be trials 
where we show that you reduce the medication, the A1C doesn't really bounce back very high and outcomes are better. We're not seeing rebound heart attacks or whatever it is people are worried about. I think that would be very beneficial. And that's sort of also the direction where the deintensification literature needs to move to really show uh, with strong evidence that it is safe and we're not going to see any adverse events that we weren't expecting and, and it will help promote it further, I think. Yeah, super, super interesting. And I think anyone who is attending the conference is in for a treat because that's going to be a really interesting and exciting topic for people who are looking at people living with type 2 diabetes who are over 65. So thank you so much for joining us on the show today. It was fantastic to have you. Thank you. My pleasure. It was actually fun. (laughs) Thank you to all of you who are listening to the show today. As I mentioned off the top, Dr. Lega is one of the speakers at the Diabetes Canada CSEM Professional Conference and Annual General Meetings, taking place from November 23rd to 26th, 2021. Registration is open now at dcanconference.ca. I'm Krista Lamb, and you've been listening to the Diabetes Canada podcast. If you enjoyed this show, please be sure to subscribe in the podcast provider of your choice. If you have questions or comments, you can reach Diabetes Canada at info at diabetes.ca, or you can visit their website at diabetes.ca. Thanks for listening.